you believe in a business, so you just keep going, right? Everyone looks at a handful of companies with the names that everyone knows, uh, you know, a rocket ship to the up and right of the growth graph. And while that's great, and there are many companies that get to do that, there are a lot of companies like CropTwist that, you know, aren't always up and to the right. And so I think one of the most important things is to just keep going, right? You keep the business going, you keep it moving forward, you keep it growing, even if it's not growing a double digit growth every year, and you focus on how to stay alive, because the longer you stay alive, the more of a large institution you can become. Welcome in to Studying Success. On this podcast, I interview entrepreneurs, investors, and CEOs who reveal their personal stories and advice for high school and college students on how to become successful in the business world. Today, we are joined by Josh Bowen, co-founder and COO at Simba, a platform that provides affordable money transfer services for immigrants sending funds home. Prior to Simba, Josh was a co-founder and head of business development and product at CrowdTwist, which sold to Oracle in 2019 and had more than $10 million in revenue. In this episode, we discuss how Josh and his co-founders started Simba, why it's so important to stay focused as a startup, and Josh's learnings from CrowdTwist. Stick around to the end to hear Josh's advice for Gen Z. Here's the interview. Josh, thank you so much for coming on Studying Success. How are you today? Nice to meet you. I'm doing well. So Josh, please tell us who you are and what you do. Yes. So my name is Josh Bowen. I live in New York City. My career has taken me through media and technology. And most recently, I built and sold a loyalty software company to Oracle. And over the course of your career, you've had really two huge successes with CrowdTwist and Simba. Could you give a quick overview of what those companies are and what you did at those companies? Yeah, sure. About 15 years ago, I was at a meeting at MTV with the management team for U2. And uh, they were talking about a host of issues. And one of them was they wanted to give the best seat to the best fan in the U2 fan club. And they're giving the best seat to the best ticket broker. And so I left that meeting. And with two other individuals, we built what we thought was a better fan club. We signed some musicians, Chris Daughtry, Kelly Clarkson. We signed a sports team, the Miami Dolphins. And then we're like, what are we doing? How are we going to make money? And uh, we got a phone call one day from an agency representative of uh, Pepsi. And the global digital head of Pepsi said, we'd like to use CrowdTwist's loyalty platform. And so lo and behold, unbeknownst to us, we built the loyalty software platform. And we grew it from my couch to about 80 people, about $20 million a year in annual recurring revenue. I oversaw all business development, which meant for us channel sales, so partners that were helping us sell. And then I also oversaw our product because that was one of the genesis behind the idea itself. That went about 12 years. It was never completely up and to the right. And we got very fortunate to get some inbound software offers. We hired a mid-market banker and 24 hours later, Oracle had locked it down. So a very interesting story. Very feel very fortunate. I've also been working on a digital bank and remittance platform. This is called Simba. Most Americans don't know what a remittance is. If you're a first-generation immigrant living here, it's very core to your existence. You come here for a better life for your family here and your family back home. And so a remittance is actually sending money that you earn here back home. And a business partner approached me about 15 years ago before starting CrowdTwist and said, let's build a digital bank and remittance platform for immigrants. I didn't even know what that meant at the time. Needless to say, it was very persistent. And so we started in about 2019. And in 2021, we launched our digital bank and remittance platform called Simba. And so I oversaw pretty much everything from building the team out to overseeing product development to securing all of our partners related to building and launching our digital bank. 
what made you and your partner finally start Simba in 2019 after having known about it for 15 years? Yeah, well, the first conversation, I was already working on CrowdTwist, so it wasn't, the timing wasn't right. And in 2019, CrowdTwist was acquired. I had more flexibility then, and I felt like it was a good opportunity to try something new outside of kind of my area of expertise. I'd never been even tangentially associated with anything related to finance. So it was a good new experience for me. What were your first steps in the process to building Simba? Yeah, so for me, a lot of the core elements were things I've done before, right? Hiring teams finding good developers, finding good people for the related role, building out a product, putting relationships in place. And so while I had that understanding. I really didn't have any familiarity with immigrant communities in terms of how they live on a day-to-day basis, how they bank, how they send money home, and just financial products related to them. So I had to get up to speed on those areas. After you got up to speed, what were the first steps in the process to actually building the product? Yeah, so they call it user-centered design. We have concepts that we thought were directionally correct for how we wanted to launch a product, but it was really about embedding ourselves within some immigrant communities here in the New York City area and getting their feedback on the direction that we're trying to go. So does this um, solution address your concerns? Would you use this solution? What solution would you like to have in the future? And so it was really about making sure that the product we were developing was based on their specific needs and not on our concepts alone. How did you get into contact with these immigrant communities? Yeah, it's a really, they call it grassroots marketing. So we were embedded within the communities through contacts from my business partner, my business partner and founder, Simon Timtor is from Western Africa, a small landmark country called Burkina Faso. I grew up in the capital city, Ouagadougou, and immigrants are very tight knit. So when they come to America, they rely on themselves for where to bank, where to live, how to be successful in those regions. And so they stay tight-knit throughout their journeys here in the U.S. And so we work through those relationships to grow our connections within many of the Western African communities here in New York. When you were talking to these immigrant communities, was it a widespread problem of sending money back and forth from the U.S. to their home countries? Yeah, I think problem isn't necessarily the right word. The problem was they had ways to send money home. But in many cases, it was very expensive. And so in 2023, there are many more ways for you to send money back home than the tried and true method of Western Union, which most of the immigrants' families had used for many generations. And so while those channels exist and they're very large and they're very popular for certain corridors, meaning certain countries you're sending money back to, it can be very expensive. It can be in excess of 10, 12, 20% in certain cases. So you send a hundred bucks and your family members get an 80 to $90, which doesn't seem fair when there are many more direct and digital mechanisms for sending money today. After finding that for immigrant communities, it's very expensive to send money back to their home countries. Are you technical and could you build code or was your co-founder technical? Like how was the initial product built? Yeah, sure. So I was actually a developer out of college but only did that for a couple of year period of time. I was never very good at it. And my business partner was the finance expert. He owns a banking group in Western Africa called the Vista Bank Group. So from the standpoint of expertise about building a product, I understand the components, having been a former developer, but we need you to build out a product development organization. So that was one of the things we were tasked with. Uh, And then one of the things that we did there was to understand the 
existing remittance rails or technologies that could be used today to make that experience better for our customer. Our first initial partner was Visa. Visa has a product called Visa Direct. And to explain how it works when you go in a store and you buy something with a Visa and then you bring it back to the, you bring it back to the store and you want a refund. When they push that refund or that credit back to your account, that's the similar technology that they're using for Visa Direct. So card to card transfers is similar to sending money. And so that's what we were using it for. Was the initial product that you built, was it a replica of what you have today or was it much different from Simba to that? Yeah, no, it was along the lines of what we have today. What we've done is work on additional remittance partners. So partners that are not necessarily sending it from a debit card to a debit card, but allowing you to pick it up at a bodega, for example, for cash or do mobile top ups or bank transfers. So you send it from your Simba account to an actual bank account. So there are different mechanisms and remains partners for each one of those different ways for sending money. What was the reaction of your customers to the initial product of Simba? Yeah. So the initial product with Visa Direct and going card to card is very great when it works, but for some, what we'd call emerging markets and some of the countries within Western Africa, in particular, the Francophone or French speaking countries, it didn't have very good penetration, meaning it just didn't cover enough of the actual potential customers that we wanted to actually receive remittances. And so that wasn't a good solution. And that's one of the reasons we needed to look into additional partners so we could increase our remittance disbursement methods. Again, cash pickup or mobile top up. And so without having that functionality to meet our product's needs in the right way, at the beginning, the initial product wasn't sufficient enough. So it wouldn't pick up the right traction and the right user base here. And you said your first partner was Visa. How did you get in contact with Visa? Yes. One of the interesting things about the digital banking space is there's a plethora of good contacts and partners to use. And so it was really about finding the right partner for you. And so in our case, when you build a digital bank, you have an associated debit card, like a traditional bank account, and that has to be in a certain network. And the main networks are a Visa network or a MasterCard network. And so when we talk to those two network partners, we had discussions as to functionality that they could offer us. The MasterCard product that's similar to Visa Direct is called MasterCard Send. Uh, and so they have different quarters and costs and ways about doing business. And we initially decided to go with Visa. How did your new partners like Visa allow you to reach more customers? Yeah, we always wanted to focus on Western Africans. And then we talked to a lot of people and they said, great, we know you can work with them, but what about other communities like people in the Caribbean or in the East, other countries around the world. And we lost focus at the beginning. I think one of the things about an early stage company is you need to be focused. And so when we lost focus, we chose to go with Visa and a solution that would cover more territory and more ground than other solutions out there, but didn't have the actual coverage we needed within the quarters that we were focusing on. And one of the lessons I think is really important in an early stage company is making sure you always stay as focused as possible. Why do you think it's so important to stay focused? You just have only so few hands and that takes a lot longer than you expect it to. And so in the need of building something that is actually adopted and you're getting the right customer feedback to make it better, the fewer people and fewer features you're offering at the beginning will allow you to get those right first. Do you still plan to expand to include more communities than just the Western African community? Or are you still just doing the Western African community as your customer? Yeah, we decided midway through the product release that we'd lost our focus and we'd expanded too large. 
And so last summer in 2022, we really slowed the brakes on regions outside of Western Africa. And the goal now is to really focus on communities in Western Africa and provide them a solution that solves their problems. How did you specifically focus on communities in Western Africa? Yeah. So again, really, it boils down to my business partner having a banking group that is already in Guinea, Gambia, Sierra Leone, Mali, and Burkina Faso. And so leveraging those customers already existing in Western Africa to help us find family members here and to provide input as to our future product direction made the most sense for us. And has that been successful? Has that transition allowed you to really find more customers in the Western African community? Yeah. So right now we've been focused on building and launching Simba Africa, which is a payment platform for his customers of his banking group there. It'll capture the remittances from Simba US over here. And so we're still in the development cycle for that, but it's exciting focus of direction and exciting for this to be launched later in the year. Have you guys decided to raise money and have you raised money? There's been money injected into the business from my business partner, as well as we've done a serious round of small angel investors and friends and family. The goal now is to launch Simba Africa and get the product into people's hands, get customer feedback, show some of the growth metrics, and then go for a more substantial financing. What has been your biggest challenge with Simba? What is the hardest part about the business? I think the hardest part for me is, unfortunately, I was going to go right before the pandemic struck, go to Western Africa and understand a little bit more clearly as to the communities that we're involved with and sending our money to in Western Africa. And I still haven't made it to Western Africa. So I think that's Definitely a limiting factor right now. And even though my business partner and the majority of the team is from Western Africa, I think that would help tremendously as well as I'm not French speaking. And so while everyone speaks English, it would be, I think, much more beneficial if I were able to speak French. What was it like with CrowdTwist? What is your biggest takeaway from CrowdTwist? Yeah, I think the biggest takeaway from CrowdTwist is if you believe in a business, you just keep going. Right. Everyone looks at a handful of companies with the names that everyone knows, uh, you know, a rocket ship to the up and right of the growth graph. And while that's great, and there are many companies that get to do that, there are a lot of companies like CropTwist that, you know, aren't always up and to the right. And so I think one of the most important things is to just keep going, right? You keep the business going, you keep it moving forward, you keep it growing, even if it's not growing a double digit growth every year. And you focus on how to stabilize because the longer you stay alive, the more of a large institution you can become. What was the acquisition like in 2019? Yeah, I think just the market starts seeing trends and need. We became very fortunate because loyalty was at the time front and center and something that was starting to be talked about. And I think it all became more apparent in some of the fundraising. We were out in the market trying to raise additional capital and people talk, the community is very small. And so we started to receive a couple inbound offers from private equity companies and that kind of highlighted to us that there was a potential good time for us to get a, a banker involved and explore potential partners for a future sale. What I would say is, in addition to the fact of focusing on always staying alive, uh, it's important to understand timing in the market. And the timing in the market was good for loyalty. And so it made sense to explore a potential acquisition partners. What would you say is your biggest learning from CrowdTwist? Biggest learning. So it was really interesting, right? I was with CrowdTwist from my 30s to 40. And from a career development standpoint, you learn a lot about yourself. I wore many different hats and you learn how to deal with a lot of different people and work with a lot of different people. And developers are very different than marketers, which are very different than salespeople and are very different than executives. So I think the biggest takeaway is 
you know, how do you get people across an organization that's a small organization motivated and pointing in the right direction? It's really hard to do that. And it's hard to stay consistent on that. So that was, I think, one of the biggest exercises in growing me as an entrepreneur and a leader. How does one keep a team motivated and going in the right direction? Yeah, it's really hard. I think we, in the middle of the CrowdTest journey, had some tough times. And I think you lose certain people from the visible mission. And so I think it's really important to make sure people feel like they're working in an organization where their work is valuable and they can clearly see how their contributions lead towards growth and success of the company. Uh, so I think that's one important thing, transparency and communication. I think it's very clear to make people grounded on goals, whether they're quantitative or qualitative, so they know what success means. And then I think it's important to build a community. You're spending so much time at work, you should like who you work with, you should know who you work with, and you should get to know them a little bit better. Building that community is something that's very difficult, especially when you're going through tough times. And so we focused on some of the lighter events, the lunches, getting people out once a week, having small events, having hackathons where developers got to show some of their skills and talents out of the day-to-day uh, product building they were doing and f- making feel people like they had uh, impact on the organization. And so those were just a handful of things we do. What do you think you're best at and why do you think you're particularly good at that thing? That's an interesting question. I think I'm good at communicating with people across an organization. And I think while I was never a good developer or really enjoyed developing, I think having that skill set allows me to talk uh, across development people, across product people. And then I transitioned into the business side of, and understanding how to listen to people or how to treat everyone and their needs very differently because everyone has different ways of working, has different ways of valuing their outcomes and goals. And you need to be able to communicate across all those people and make sure they're all pointing in the right direction. If you were going to give advice to someone in high school or college, what would that advice be to be successful in the business world? Wow, that's a tough one. I think everyone's very different. I think it's important to enjoy what you do. I grew up and my mother was a school teacher and she loved what she did. And so she always said, find something you enjoy doing or find people you enjoy working with or find an element of your career that you enjoy. And so I think it helps to be passionate about something or to at least have passions in your life while you're pursuing whatever your career is. I think in high school and college, I didn't really know what I wanted to be. I wanted me to be a doctor or a lawyer. I'm not a doctor or a lawyer. And so I think it's about getting the fundamentals down and finding out what interests you and focusing on those things. Because if you're excited about it or interested in it, I think it it leads to just a little bit more pleasant existence as you're working towards something that is fascinating and exciting to you. What resources like books or podcasts or newsletters do you use to learn more about business? Yeah, sure. Like I said, my career went between software and media. And media was really because I love media. I love consuming content, whether it's online, whether it's old TV, or whether it's magazines and newspapers or online blogs. I read a lot. I'd say it's interesting. I went through a big phase where all I read was nonfiction. And so I think you learn a lot by reading about other people's journeys, which I found very interesting. And no in particular one business book did that. I like Shoe Dog by Phil Vine. I thought that was an amazing book. But what you realize by reading these books is everyone's having different struggles as they find their path in life. And I think just understanding that no one's perfect is something that I enjoy. On a daily basis, I read these of the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal. And so I think it's good to keep abreast on business and industry and just the world in general. And so those are some of the things that I'd focus on. For our last question, how do you define success? 
Yeah, that's really interesting. I saw that in the list of questions and I was like, I don't know. I think right today, it'd be very different than how I would have defined success 10 years ago. I think it's, are you excited about what you do? Do you wake up and not dread doing what you need to do on a daily basis? I think it's really about happiness. I think they talk about this all the time and they say money doesn't buy happiness. And I think happiness is defined as to who you are as a person on an individual basis, who you are with your partners or friends or community, and then who you are within your work life. And so I think it's such a huge, important part of your existence. And we spend so much time on it on a daily basis that I think that's really important to focus on happiness. Josh, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was great. Yeah, awesome to meet you, Will. I think it's really impressive what you're doing. I wish I'd had the foresight to do something like this when I was young. I was cutting lawns every morning. I wasn't even thinking about this, so it's really impressive. (laughs) Thanks for having me on. As always, thank you for listening, and please make sure you follow Studying Success to get notified when new podcasts come out. Also, please leave a review and send the podcast to your friends and family to show them what you learned. It would greatly help the show. I'm Will Burkhart, and you've been listening to Studying Success. 